let me catch us up on where we've been, um, and then we'll, we'll dive into what we have for today. So last week, we kind of started this, um, not kind of, we totally started this six-week journey um, kind of talking about Easter. Um, I keep saying kind of, we're talking about Easter. And um, last week, we talked about Friday, Jesus going to the cross. And I was telling you guys that um, I, a few months ago, I started reading scripture differently. Um, I started to, to try out this like new, slow, prayerfully imaginating, imaginating, that's not a word, um, imagining um, kind of the scenario as I read through it. So I'll give you an example. Last week, we talked about the Last Supper in the Garden of Gethsemane, these two moments before Jesus was arrested and goes to the cross. And a few months ago when I was reading through that, I just really slowed down. I'd read like three or four verses at a time and I'd start asking questions. Jesus, what were you feeling? What happened before this and after this? And what were the implications of, of that on this moment? What were your disciples saying? What was the environment like? And I just started getting lost, just imagining. And I just, I just realized that, that there's some really cool, deep spiritual truths that, that just became so evident to me as I stepped back from my classic read a chapter a day kind of experience of Bible reading. I don't know if you guys do that. That's what I grew up doing. Just a chapter a day was the right call. But as I slowed down, I started just realizing these deep truths that were just so beautiful. So last week, one of the things we talked about was how many times did Jesus say yes to dying for the world before he died? And I think I realized a lot. He had so many chances to escape, so many chances to say no, so many chances to just abort mission. And yet he kept saying yes. So that's kind of what stuck out last week. And we're gonna continue in that vein this week. And if you're taking notes, the, the title of today, kind of the, the thing we're talking about is when Saturday comes. When Saturday comes. So we're going to just dive into something I, I haven't really explored a lot in my life. The in-between moment where Jesus has died on a cross and he is not yet resurrected. Okay. So I'm going to ask us to do something that's borderline heretical, but just trust me here. We're going to celebrate resurrection next week, all right? But for now, I'm going to ask you to just imagine the scenario when Jesus is only dead. He is in a tomb, a real tomb, and he is not going to come back, all right? That's kind of where we're entering into. We're going to join the disciples there in this like hopeless moment. Um, and it's going to be good. It's going to be beautiful. It will not stay a downer, okay? But we're going to go there, all right? So something that came to my mind as I was thinking about uh, this teaching this week, you ever heard that phrase, um, and you can finish it for me, all right? What doesn't kill you makes you... Does Kelly Clarkson sing a song that says that? What doesn't kill you... I can't get up there. Um, someone told me to sing it, and it didn't go over well, so I'm going to let them know it wasn't worth it. Um, anyway, gosh, it's awful. I knew that I couldn't hit that note, falsetto, whatever the thing's called. Falsetto? Oh, oh, I thought I was being funny, but I was being accurate. Anyway, so what doesn't kill you make you stronger, okay? So that phrase, whenever I hear that phrase, here's just kind of what I picture in my head. I don't know who you picture. Maybe someone told you that growing up, but I always picture like a war veteran, you know, like a guy from like World War II who got hit a few times, like barely survived the minefield and made it out. And like, he just tells me this inspired speech. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like it only made me better. Or like an all world athlete who's like super jacked, was like broken some bones along the way, but now he's like won three Super Bowls. And he's like, hey, remember kids, what doesn't kill you, it only makes you stronger. So when those hard moments come, and in those moments, that phrase is perfect, right? Like when you're not in the moment that potentially could kill you, you're like, that's great. So I'll remember that. When life gets hard, I'll remember that, hey, whenever it gets hard, it's only making me stronger. And I'm just going to remember it. So when things get hard, I won't be discouraged. I won't be frustrated. I'm just going to be like, nope, it's just me getting stronger right now. Life is hard, but look at me. I'm getting stronger, right? Until the moment actually happens, 
right? And then it feels more like the phrase is, um, what doesn't kill you might kill you eventually, honestly. <laughs> I don't know how this is going to end. <laughs> like, what doesn't kill you almost killed you. And honestly, I feel uh, a little parched. I-, I don't feel stronger. I feel weaker. I feel, does that resonate? Like, when you're in the hard moment, you don't see the beauty of the other side. Like, oh, this is God just building me up. You feel like, God, I'm going to die here if you don't step in. Does that make sense? And I think we're joining the disciples in a moment like this because Jesus actually said something somewhat similar to the disciples as he's ministering to them. And I feel like the disciples heard it once and were like, oh, cool. But then the thing actually happened. So I wanna, I wanna read this verse. You don't have to turn there. This is out of John 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and listen to these words, okay? In this world, you will have trouble. All right, makes sense? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world, right? So in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So if you're not in a troubling season, you hear that and you're like, great. I can just imagine the disciples like, all right, Jesus, that's, that's dope. I'm down for that. I'm down to know that when things are hard, that you've overcome them. And I don't know what picture was in their head, but we're about to join them on a story where trouble happens, And they stop living in the narrative that Jesus has, in fact, overcome the world. You can just tell the disciples forgot the second half of the phrase. And it makes total sense. I think it's all very relatable. So last week we talked about it. Jesus in the garden, he's praying, he's arrested. His friends who risked everything to follow him for three years flee. They run in fear. Peter, the guy that was like, if everyone runs, I won't run. If no one will die for you, I will. He says he doesn't even know Jesus. Jesus is truly left alone. He's on the cross. He is murdered. Like he is killed. It's like this horrific scene. And that's what we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through 47. All right? Let's read that. Let's get to it. And when evening had come, so Jesus is now dead, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage, and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. What he's saying there is Pilate is surprised that uh, that he's already dead because usually crucifixions lasted a long time. It was gruesome. I would assume that since Jesus was beaten so badly, he died quicker. That just gives you a picture of how gruesome this all is. Pilate's like, oh, that guy on the cross, he's already dead. Why don't we check? It's crazy. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Isn't that a weird thought? Corpse, Jesus. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. All right. So there's this surreal moment. Again, asking you to delay the understanding that Sunday is going to come, that resurrection will happen. There's this crazy moment where Jesus has breathed his last. He is just hanging on a cross, dead. A professional at checking if people are dead, a centurion, checks to see that Jesus is in fact dead. And then Mark uses a word that only Mark uses and says that the corpse was given to Jesus. So just imagine this. This leader, I got to imagine Jesus, this like teacher of teachers, raising the dead, healing people, tons of tension around his leadership, tons of disruption. But I had to guess, like this kind of a polarizing leader just feels untouchable. 
Like, even when things get tough, you just knew Jesus was going to make it. Like, he's not the guy to go down. But in this moment, he is a corpse. He is wrapped in cloth, and they carry his body bag into a tomb. They set it down, and then they roll up however many tons of stone in front of the tomb. It is like over. Jesus is for real dead. Now, we don't have a lot of information about what the disciples are processing here, what's really going on. But there's some things we can gather if you really think about this story. So we know the disciples, one, were scared, right? They ran. That's what scared people do. You run. You run away. You go hide, right? We know that they had serious doubt because once they hear the news of the resurrection, which we're ignoring that news right now, but once they hear the news of the resurrection, their first response, according to Mark, Luke, and John, is disbelief. They literally go, that did not happen. Someone took the body of Jesus. He did not resurrect. The disciples, that's their response, right? And we know they're heartbroken because Jesus is the one they gave up all their life for. They followed him for three years. So you know they're just shattered. So the disciples are in this place of being so distraught. Jesus, their fearless leader, is dead. He is a corpse wrapped in a cloth like every other dead person, put in a tomb like every other dead person. It's over. And I started asking myself, why were the disciples so scared? Why were they so distraught? Why were they so hopeless? Why, when they heard about the resurrection, did they not believe? Like, that's actually super interesting because the thing is, Jesus wasn't very subtle about this all happening. In fact, Jesus, according to Mark, took three chances to sit the disciples down and go, hey, guess what's coming up? I'm gonna die. Three days later, I'm coming back. Don't sweat it. You're all gonna abandon me. It's all good. In fact, that verse I read out of John 16, that says, in this life, there will be trouble, but take heart, I've overcome it. Right before that, the sentence that came before that hopeful sentence, right? Jesus says, let me find it. Behold, the hour is coming when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you'll leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. The Father is with me. Then he says, in this world, there will be trouble. Take heart, I've overcome it. He's talking about his death. Last week, we talked about the Last Supper. Jesus said, hey, this bread, it's my body. It's going to be broken, right? This wine, this is my blood. I'm about to shed it, okay? You're all going to disperse. I'll meet you in Galilee after I die. He tells them that. This is not subtle. But yet, somehow, when everything starts happening exactly the way that Jesus said it's going to happen, they're like, hopeless, fear. Like, they're scared, distraught. In fact, they won't even believe the news of the resurrection. They're like, no, the one who resurrects people is dead. So there's no way he resurrected, right? All of a sudden, and it's really interesting, how is it possible that the closest followers of Jesus who gave their lives to listening to the words of Jesus, that was their profession. Watch Jesus do what he does, try to do it. Listen to what he says, try to remember it, right? And yet when the moment comes, fear, gone. It's over. Like, this is, it's all over. We got to go back to fishing. Life as we knew it is finished. I'm like, how does that happen? But the truth is, I think all of us can easily relate to this, right? It's like, no matter how high our highs are, no matter how closely we've walked with God at one point in our life, or how closely we're walking with God now, there will be moments in life where things simply get real. Like, where it gets harder than we realized it could get. It gets more tragic than we understood possible. We'd always heard the stories of pain and heartbreak, but we'd never experienced them for ourselves. And when that happens, we find ourselves amazed at just how heavy that unbelief can be, how heavy that brokenness can be, how heavy those moments of, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I made this all up. Can anybody relate to that? 
Like that moment when, when your mom goes in for that just like typical procedure, no big deal, and then they find cancer. And it's like, that's not right. Or when your friends go out to the movies, they get in a car accident, one wasn't wearing a seatbelt, takes their life. That's what happened to me. It's like, hold up, what's going on? It's like when those moments of brokenness are at your front door, when it's no longer a theory, you're not going, hey, in the future, what doesn't kill me, it's gonna make me stronger. Hey, when trouble comes, I'm gonna overcome it because Jesus has overcome it, right? But when those moments actually come, when trouble's actually here, when something's actually threatening your life, when those happen, all of a sudden, everything can be up for grabs, right? And so I wanna take a moment to process when Saturday comes, when moments of pain are at your front door, what you do. Because here's what I think happened with the disciples. Actually, let me preface it. So I'm about to talk about the disciples and some things that they experienced and so some, some places where their expectations were a little out of line of Jesus's words and how that's not great. It makes it hard when life gets hard. But before I get there, I wanna say this. This is not a conversation that says, hey, if you're in a season of mourning, of grief, of pain, of hurt, that it's your fault. You need to change your perspective, okay? The truth is, I think life is hard and the world is broken. And I think Jesus was very comfortable mourning with those who mourn. And so this is not a conversation saying, you get to fix your sadness. There are some things that break our hearts and they just should. And they just break our hearts because it's heartbreaking, okay? So I wanna be really careful here because I'm a challenger, I think this way. And so I'll accidentally go, hey, you can fix it if you'll just do this thing. And that's not true. I think God is perfectly content mourning with those who mourn. I think he's good with that. I think that's scriptural, okay? But I do want to explore something with the disciples that I think we can learn from them, all right? So how is it possible that the closest followers of Jesus can experience exactly what Jesus said was going to happen and be so shaken, right? I think there's something about what they expected from Jesus, all right? There's something that we can do as humans. We bring something to the table. We bring experiences, we bring assumptions, we bring narratives that shape the way we hear things, right? Depending on what kind of day you had uh, is, can sometimes be the difference of hearing something as a compliment or hearing something as a critique. Does that make sense? If you had a bad day, you'll be like, hey, what do you mean by that? What were you getting at? And they were like, I was just being nice. Were you, right? <laughs> oh, nothing's wrong with you. I had a bad day, right? It's, it's affecting it. I can have it. I don't know if that's a great segue into what I'm about to talk about. Anyway, so the disciples, there's a good shot that when they heard that Jesus was the Messiah and he talked about bringing a new kingdom, they are Israelites, Jewish people, and they're under the rule of the Roman Empire. So technically the Romans are their enemy. And so Jesus starts saying, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of God. I'm the chosen one. And I've come to deliver you that there's a new kingdom in town, right? There's a great chance, I'd say this is, What's happened? The disciples thought that meant, oh my goodness, Jesus has come to deliver us from the Romans. That's what's happening. Now, if that's the assumption they bring in mind, when Jesus starts saying crazy, silly things that Jesus could say, according to the disciples, I'm gonna die, they're like, oh, I think he's doing one of them parables again. I don't know what it means yet, but we'll understand this in a little bit. Jesus, make that simpler. What do you mean by die? He's like, no, nah, I'm going to die. No, what's he saying? I don't know what that means. He's so mysterious. I love that about him. Let's go. Let's go overtake the Romans, right? Right? So it's crazy, though. I really think that's what happens. Because what happened that Jesus does exactly what he said he would do at least three times? My guess is a lot more than three times. Literally hours before the arrest, he's at dinner with them saying, this is going to happen like in six hours. And then it happens and they're like, what 
is happening, right? What happened? I believe that although Jesus's explanation was perfect, their expectations, the filter they heard it through, totally changed the way they experienced it. And I guess to put it simply, our expectations are so often going to shape our experience. And this is something we do all of the time. We bring our narratives, we bring our truths to who we think God should be. We bring our assumptions, we bring our experiences, and we don't always know it. We're not, I don't think we're, we're being malicious. We're not going, no, God, you're going to be this way. But because of the stories we've experienced, we just go, God must be this way. So when I read his words, I read it with clouds. Lean, right? To try to bring this to the ground, I, I don't want to leave this in the clouds. Uh, so one of the narratives is this idea that uh, you earn everything, right? So you do good, you get good. You know, you do bad, you get bad. So this idea that, hey, if you'll if you do good on your, if you'll study hard, you'll probably get good grades. If you get good grades, you'll probably understand. It's all based on performance. So if I do my end, the society will do its end. If I put my work in, I will get rewarded. Well, where that be able to, to connect these dots, that immediately goes, God, what did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this? And then my gut instinct there is, you're not just. Now with him, so now you see, you didn't hold up your end of the deal. It's not a deal God made with me, but it's one that I think my reaction is, I can't really talk to you right now. Things are harder than I expected. I'm a little more disoriented than I'm comfortable with. And because of that, me and you, we can't be close right now. Because I feel, right? That can happen very easily. None of that was in the gospel. Jesus told me, like, only, and I'm like, God, what in the world is going on? Jesus is the one that said, God, why have you forsaken me? But the minute I feel forsaken, the minute I feel alone, I'm like, God, you're not doing what you're supposed to do here. And I start automatically assuming things about God. And so I want to take a time out real quick, because we all do this. We all have certain things, whether it's how our parents raised us, what schooling was like. We all attach narratives to Jesus that Jesus never did. We all attach precedents, rules, standards, things about God that God never actually said about himself. It may have been a bad church experience. It may have been the way your mother or father treated you. I don't know. But there's so many things we experience, whether positive or negative, that give us true or false pictures of God. And we take those things and we apply them to the words of Jesus. I think it's how we end up coming up with an American Christianity uh, that has no idea what it looks like to take the cross. Jesus says, hey, I died. What do you think is going to happen to you? Like, they did this to me. What's going to happen to the follower? And then we're like, wait, I'm suffering? Where was that in Scripture? Everywhere. It was everywhere in Scripture. It was basically the main thing in Scripture. But somehow we miss it, right? That happens so easily. So I want to give you a chance. I'm going to, I'm going to stop for like two or three minutes and just take time to pull out a pen, pull out your phone, and just reflect what are the things that shape what I believe about God that God didn't say, Right? What are the things that I might interpret the words of God through that he didn't necessarily ask me to interpret God through himself? I don't know how to word it. You guys get what I'm saying. All right. So take a few minutes. Is that, does that make sense? Is, is that clear? So take a chance, reflect. What are the things that might influence how I interpret the words of Jesus that aren't strictly the words of Jesus? Take a few minutes. We'll be quiet. We'll come back. Yeah, so hopefully, you know, you see how this is important. Someone at the 9 a.m. shared, you know, their dad and their relationship with their father was just really hard. I'm just very hurtful growing up. And I've heard, actually, I've heard two different stories of a bad relationship with the father. One person actually experienced just a really t- tough relationship and said, God is the opposite of this. 
Like, and it was a really easy leap. And I don't understand how that happened. I just credit that to the Holy Spirit. But they were literally like, this can't be God. This is not how my heavenly father is. So that's great. But the other one, which I think is maybe more common, went, man, like that my father treated me all of these ways. Like it has to, that has to show like what the heavenly father is like. And it was just incredible to hear her process in front of us. Like that would take her a long time to realize like the heavenly father uh, was not always exactly like your earthly father. Like your earthly father was at best a broken example of the heavenly father and sometimes a polar opposite. And so there's so many things that affect how we view God, how we read the words of Jesus, what we expect from God, regardless of the explanation that Jesus might be giving us. And so um, I hope you sense the importance of this. So I'm not saying, hey, if you're in a hard season, if you're hurting, if you're frustrated with God even, that you have to fix something. But I do want to suggest um, maybe a healthy self-reflection of God. Help me sift through um, where I've attached things to you that you never said about yourself. Um, I put expectations on you that you never told me to put on you. I'm holding you to things that you never said. And uh, that can just be so easy to do. And the thing is, we can go about our life. um, And when everything's good, when everything's running smooth, you can believe some false things about God and you won't know it. It's fine because nothing's going wrong. But the moment things hit the fan, the moment that things get super real, that's when those things will come to the surface. And you'll find yourself with bitterness and and frustration maybe that is misplaced. Um, yeah, so last thing, if you're in one of these seasons right now, if you're in one of these, like, I'm wanting to keep God over here, I'm hurt, I'm frustrated, it's hard, um, I just want to, I guess for, yeah, I just want to leave a word of encouragement. One thing I saw in this passage also that I think I've missed in the past is in the midst of these people, the closest followers of Jesus, not knowing what to do, they kind of started doing what they knew to do. So in the midst of not knowing what to do, do what you know to do. That's a really good piece of advice that I've heard. Like when I'm lost, when I don't know what is going on, they say, hey, if you don't know what to do, just do what you know. And so I noticed that the disciples, they actually honor the Sabbath the next day. They don't complete the, the, the burial of Jesus until two days later because uh, they wanted to honor the Sabbath. That's a command from God. Um, Joseph of Arimathea is actually uh, right in the middle of giving Jesus a proper burial. They don't just abandon Jesus. And if you think about this, potentially their whole worldview of God was completely shattered broken. Like, if Jesus is dead, things have went wrong. Like, things are in trouble. And so my instinct there is to begin abandoning it all. I'm an all-in or all-out, guys. I'm all out at this point. But you watch Joseph, and he gives Jesus a proper burial. He stays close to Jesus. And then the disciples actually honor the Sabbath. The women that are going to anoint him with spices, um, they wait because it's a Ten Commandment to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. So I was struck by, in the midst of calamity, in the midst of brokenness, their willingness to still be quietly and even with a broken heart obedient to some of the principles that God had laid out for them. And so this doesn't feel like a a conversation to me to go, hey, here's three next steps you really need to do. Like, it feels like one that goes, hey, if you're hurting and you're broken, one, God is with you. And two, like, just keep stepping with God. Um, don't, don't, Don't keep him at arm's length. Do your best to let him know. Tell him. Like, Jesus was in the garden, and he said, take this cup. Like, take it, but your will be done. Like, Jesus was ruthlessly honest with his father. And so I just wanted to encourage us, I guess, if you're in a hard season, to to check where maybe some expectations have been applied um, wrongly on God, but also let him in on it. Don't leave him out of that. He wants to be in the mess. He wants to be in the brokenness. I really believe that. So we're going to have a time of communion, um, and uh, we have it on all four communion tables, all four corners of the room. And so I'm going to pray for us. And then right after I pray, I'll say amen. 
And then you all can stand. You can exit towards the middle. The front half can come to the tables over here, and you can return outside. Back half, exit towards the middle. Got communion, return back on the outside. Um, and as you're taking communion, I really want you to remember this. You know, Jesus, the, the, the symbolism of communion, the, the bread representing that God became man, that he did not stand distant. The cup representing that he shed his blood. Like, his promise is to be with you. And sometimes Jesus is dead, like that in-between moment. But there is this promise that whether it's in this life or the next, that in Jesus, all will be made right. Like, that we will see that day where there will be perfection. There will no longer be sadness and brokenness. And there's Saturdays, that's the hardest thing to believe. But, like, the promise of Jesus remains true. There is, like, hope in Jesus. And I believe he's with us even on Saturday. So um, let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll have communion and worship. God, thank you for this morning. Thanks for the space. Um, give us the discernment to really hold on to the, like the, the truths that you really want us to lock in on and, and hold on to, God. Um, we're so good at leaving Sundays in the dust and, and just being like, oh yeah, that was a good thing, and I don't remember what it was. And God, will you help us to, to take, if you were speaking today, if you spoke truth that our hearts needed, lock it inside of us, God. Help us to hear it, receive it. Um, Lord, if anyone needs prayer, will you just give them the courage to come to the back, to pray with our pastoral team, to pray with the person they came with, God, if anyone too that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today was uh, just a moment where they heard your voice saying, come to me, come to me. Um, yeah, lead us, Lord, as we worship. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.